Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. We have a lot to cover in this episode, as usual. We're going to talk more about the algorithm turbulence that's been going on for the past month or so. We'll talk more about the diversity update, some really interesting information coming out of search metrics about uh, some things that this diversity update might be affecting um, in a way that's bigger than what I thought before. And uh, we've got some really good questions in Q&A at the end of podcast. Uh, We've got one question about um, a particular business that has multiple websites. And so I'll give my thoughts on that. And a really great question about uh, veterinary websites and whether the vets need to have their names on the articles in order to improve EAT. Uh, And so even if you're not running a veterinary website, uh, if you have any sort of a medical website or even a YMYL, your money or your life website um, that uh, uses authors in ways that they need expertise, then I'll talk a little bit about uh, the best ways to do that um, in order for Google to actually recommend this site as a trustworthy site, and also for your users to improve their level of trust in your business as well. So let's talk, uh, as we usually do, we'll start with algorithm updates. Um, It looks like June 29th of uh, 2019 is a significant update, and I should mention before I go any further, today's date, just because I know not all of you listened to this right on the day that it was published. Uh, Wednesday, July 3rd is when I'm recording this and uh, of 2019. So we have been talking for the last few weeks about this big algorithm update that Google announced that came out on July or sorry, on June 3rd of 2019. This really is shaping up to be a massive update. I've talked about it for the last few episodes, uh, and so if you want to um, go back and listen to some of those episodes, you'll get a lot of insight. We have an article on our website, too, specifically about the June 3rd update and what we think is going on. Um, It seems to me that what happened on June 29th is sort of a tweak to uh, some of the factors that Google changed on June 3rd. What we're seeing is a lot of sites, uh, a lot of the natural medicine sites that we have worked with actually saw decreases on June 3rd, um, which was disappointing for us to see. However, some of those sites actually had those decreases either completely reversed or starting to reverse starting June 29th. And we think it's possible that Google has sort of softened some of the factors. Um, As we mentioned before uh, about the June 3rd update, if you have a natural medicine site, it's very, very important that you show both sides of the story. So if you're saying, hey, you can buy this supplement that is going to cure this particular medical condition that you have, you need to be showing evidence that it works evidence that uh, the scientific community thinks it works. And if the evidence is stacked against you, then you need to show both sides. And some would argue, how would Google ever determine this? We think it's not that challenging to do that with natural language processing, also with all of the information Google's got across the web. Um, I was just saying the other day, Keep in mind that many, many years ago, you know, Google had this idea that they were going to take every single book on the planet and actually digitize it. And what they did was they had actual human beings with scanners scanning every single book. Um, Think about the Google Street View car. I just passed one the other day. Every time one passes me, I want to do some crazy thing and then figure out, you know, did I get on the Street View uh, (laughs) that time? Um, But look at the resources that Google put in 
into uh, being incredible at figuring out uh, where streets are, uh, where directions are, what the best path is to take. I find Google Maps is getting even better now at showing me the best traffic route. Um, I was recently at my reunion in uh, at Guelph University, and the route that Google took me home was this windy through all of these back roads, and it got me home like an hour faster than I should have. So the reason why I'm saying this is that Google has incredible resources. They've got incredibly smart engineers. Uh, they've got a team of a massive number of quality raters so that when the engineers make a change in the algorithm, the quality raters assess it and say, yeah, you know, things are better. Or, hey, this particular type of site is ranking well, and we think according to the quality raters guidelines that it's low quality. So probably what's happened here is Google has used a number of different resources to determine whether um, natural medicine and not just medicine sites, but really any your money or your life site is potentially going to harm users or is not showing both sides of the story. I don't know exactly how they're doing it, but I do believe that they're doing it. Uh, and so it's even more important now. Are, are sites that did see improvements on June 29th that re uh, previously saw drops on June 3rd in terms of natural medicine. These are all sites that have really paid attention to our instructions, our recommendations. Uh, and the recommendations are a great number of things to improve EAT. Uh, another thing that we see a lot of natural medicine sites not doing is not putting any scientific references in uh, your your um, your text. And so if you're making a claim that, you know, carrots cure cancer, you need to be showing... And I, I'm sorry, I'm not um, making fun of you with natural medicine sites. I know that uh, the majority of you that have these sites, legitimately, you there are good reasons to use these natural medicines. Um, but you have to remember that there are other sites out there for every site that's really good and is extolling the virtues of essential oils or um, any sort of natural treatment or anything like that. There are also bad actors out there that are trying to scam people. And so what you want to do is really make it so that people can differentiate that not just Google, but people, actual users can say, ah, the information on this site is trustworthy. And that might be because, oh, I recognize this name or this person has been quoted on all of these authoritative places. Uh, they've been published in journals. Um, you know, there's other things on this website that we can trust, you know, maybe little things like it's HTTPS. It's, uh, you know, it's recommended by these other experts, things like that. Uh, and those can be hard to establish. So we really think that in areas where there are a lot of bad actors, Google is going to have higher standards in terms of what they consider trustworthy. So, you know, we don't have anything specific to mention about June 29th. It does seem to be a tweak of the June 3rd update. Um, I was hoping to get this done before we recorded podcasts, so you're going to have to wait till next week and hopefully uh, something goes good is going on here. Uh, but what we're going to do is we have a big team meeting with my team today where we're just going to go through some of the sites that we have reviewed uh, that were affected by this June algorithm update and see if we can pull out more similarities, more things that seem to be uh, at 
an issue in regards to trust or potentially something else. You know, we, we don't want to say that we're 100% convinced that Google is uh, trying to assess trust on websites, but we're pretty certain that most of the changes that we're seeing uh, in, in June are related to Google's ability to determine whether your site is trustworthy. Um, and, you know, we've got all sorts of information. If this is new to you, uh, probably the best place to start would be if you go to mariehaines.com slash trust. And that's an article that we wrote about the September 27th algorithm update. That update didn't get a name, but one of the things that we noticed was that almost every site that dropped had significant issues that we could point out uh, that were trust issues. And some of those were sites that, um, you know, maybe weren't uh, honoring refunds. They had a very bad reputation reputation online because people were complaining about their refund policy. Um, some of them were sites that were overtly selling leads. Uh, I say overtly. They were selling leads in ways that the user didn't know that they were being sold as a lead. Um, things like that. So this is all laid out in mariehaines.com trust. And we think that Google went even further in June in uh, trying to figure out this type of thing. We'll move on now to some interesting information on the diversity update. So just as a reminder, the core update, which we were just talking about, came out June 3rd of 2019. And then just to be fun, Google put out another update on June 4th, which they called the diversity update. The cool news is that Google actually communicated that to us. Um, and who knows how many times there have been multiple updates where we've tried to tie it into just one thing. When we analyzed the diversity update, our results were basically saying, you know, it didn't seem to have a drastic effect on a lot of sites. So there's a new study that Search Metrics just put out. We've linked to it in the newsletter. And all of the stuff I talk about today is in newsletter, mariehaines.com slash newsletter. Uh, you will find, um, uh, this is, I believe, episode 90 that uh, this, uh, this podcast episode is about. Um, so Search Metrics did this study and they looked at keywords that... Um, produced prior to the diversity update produced results where one domain would have three or more results. So one of the examples that we gave when we were looking at the diversity update was Yelp. Uh, often we would do a search for something local and, you know, five of the results on the first page would be from Yelp. Uh, so what this study from Search Metrics determined was that out of all of the keywords that they looked at, 1.8% were showing results from uh, one domain having more than three results, more than two results, sorry, three or more, prior to the diversity update. After the diversity update, there were essentially no. I think they found a couple of outliers, but pretty much every keyword that they checked, at most only one site would have two results, uh, not three or more. And one of the things that they looked at, they had a, a bucket of what they called transactional queries and another bucket of informational queries. So transactional queries would be somebody who is looking to buy something. Um, and then it kind of makes sense that informational queries are you're just looking for information. You don't have your credit card out right now. And what they found was with the diversity update, um, 
mostly it affected transactional queries, not informational queries. And here's something that we thought was really interesting. This is why I included it in newsletter, was that Amazon was one of the sites that really was affected in terms of how many results um, were used to be showing three or more results from Amazon, and now they're only showing at most two. Now, this is interesting because if we look at Amazon's traffic in any of the third-party tools that look at competitor traffic analysis, it doesn't look like they've actually lost traffic. In fact, it looks like they actually gained traffic. Um, And our theory was that even though uh, these sites had lost a bunch of the rankings for, you know, maybe they had rankings number five, six, and seven, um, you know, now those are gone and that strengthens their rankings at number one and two. Um, And so, you know, that's probably why they didn't lose traffic. Oh, that's kind of hard to explain. Um, But one of the things that they noticed was that, uh, okay, if Amazon has lost these positions, who replaced them? And in a lot of times it was another big name. Uh, And the example that they give in their post is that some of those results that Amazon lost were actually replaced by Walmart. Um, So Walmart is another obviously massive brand. This is in line with something that we thought was a change with the June 3rd core update. And I didn't attribute this to the diversity update. One of the things that we noticed was that a lot of our e-commerce clients, uh, especially well-known recognizable brands, saw big increases in early June. And it may be due to this diversity update. It's not that they're getting more or less um, results uh, because of diversity. It's that competitors are seeing fewer results. So if you have, if you're in a space where you're competing against a site like Amazon, and Amazon previously had the majority of the, the positions on page one for your keywords, you may find that you're able to rank for some of these now. The only thing is, it seems like Google is replacing these lost positions uh, with sites that already have massive brand authority. So I don't think there's anything specific you can do other than to continue to work on your PR, your public relations, uh, in order to get more people in authoritative places talking about you. And of course, that is the crux of EAT, or at least the A in EAT, is getting uh, authoritative figures, businesses, websites in your space to be mentioning you as an expert in your space as well. I thought it was interesting uh, as well. There was another article, this time by Systrix, talking about the drop that the Daily Mail saw. We have talked about this drop uh, for the last few weeks now. And, uh, you know, the Daily Mail saw big drops in early June. And uh, I had initially thought that it was connected to the diversity update. I really think, though, now it's more likely to be due to the core update, which started on June 3rd. Um, One of the things that was really interesting from this article from Systrix was they looked at the competitors to the Daily Mail both before and after this update happened or the drop happened. And what they noticed was before the drop happened, their competitors were all over the place. Uh, For example, some of their competitors were dictionary sites and health sites and then also other news sites. And now after the drops have happened, their main competitors that the tools are picking out are are uh, in just news sites. And so that tells me 
that, you know, maybe Google figured out that the Daily Mail wasn't the most relevant uh, result to show for people who were looking for a definition for something, for example, uh, as compared to a dictionary site. I still think that their drops are connected to trust, as we mentioned in other episodes. They have a number of trust factors that maybe just tipped the wheel or tipped the scales enough uh, for, for Google to say, look, you're lacking in T in EAT. Uh, one of those major things was ad experience. Uh, I don't know if that's changed. I haven't been back there recently, but uh, the ads on the site were absolutely horrendous. And then, um, you know, the Daily Mail is not necessarily known as the most trustworthy news source. Uh, there's actually an entire page on Wikipedia uh, based on the fact that Wikipedia editors should not choose the Daily Mail as a resource. So I'm not going to push that anymore, but I thought it was very interesting how um, Google sort of determined which parts of the site were relevant to show to people. Google made an announcement uh, this week about robots.txt files. Just a bit of a step back for those who are new to SEO, your robots.txt file is a file that you don't necessarily need to have one. But if you have one, it's a way that you can uh, tell crawlers and bots, so like Googlebot, uh, Bingbot, you know, other types of uh, bots that crawl your site, which parts of the site they're allowed to crawl. Um, you know, you might make an exception. You might say, I only want Google crawling this part and I don't want other search engines to crawl it, you know, things like that. In most cases, that's not necessary. Um, one of the things is that the robots.txt file is 25 years old. And over those 25 years, there's been no set standard of what needs to be put in these files. Um, and so what Google has done is started to make a set of standards. And the most important thing that we need to know here is that there are some things that some people are using in their robots.txt file that um, Google is no longer going to honor and no search engines are going to honor. Uh, and so the most important of these is if you're using no index or no follow, and to a smaller extent, crawl delay in your robots.txt file. So an example of where somebody might use that is, let's say you had a bunch of pages on your site that were PDF pages. Well, if they're PDFs, they don't have the HTML code structure for you to just pop in in the head of the document a no index. So if you don't want those pages in the index, then um, you know it's one thing to block them from being crawled, uh, by Google, but if you actually want to no index them, uh, because, and we've actually got an experiment coming out that shows that you can have pages that get indexed even if they're just blocked by robots uh, from crawling. And my apologies, this is getting very complicated. But if you are trying to no index pages via your robots.txt file, that is going to stop working as of September 1st, 2019. Now, this has never worked for Bing. Bing does not respect no index in um, the robots.txt file. Google has paid attention to it, and there are studies that show that uh, it works, but it's going to stop working September 1st. So if you, this is really important. I think everybody should look at your file. Um, the way to find it is to look at your domain name slash robots.txt. And if you have a file there, you'll see it. Uh, and um, you want to make sure that you're not trying to no index stuff. Now, no index is not going away. I see some confusion about this. You can still use no index, no follow on your HTML pages, just the way you normally would. It's just if you were trying to do something tricky with your robots.txt file that uh, that's going to be changing. A um, couple things about mobile first indexing. Um, 
I noticed this week I opened up a client's search console and this pop-up appeared in the lower right corner that said, this site has been moved to mobile first indexing as of this date, which is kind of cool. Um, if you've closed that pop-up or for whatever reason you've missed it, you can still see if you go into search console and go into settings, you'll see um, that uh, there's a section called about and it says indexing crawler. Um, and the example that Google gives shows uh, this one particular site, the crawler is Googlebot smartphone, and then it says switched on September 7th, 2018. Um, so you can see the date on which you were switched to mobile first indexing. Now, if you received an email from Google saying you're switched to mobile first indexing, often that email will be a few days or even weeks past the date it actually happened. Um, and so if you're saying, hey, we got this email on December 1st saying we were moved to mobile first indexing, but our rankings dropped in November, could they be connected? They could be. Uh, and your rankings may drop if your mobile version and your desktop version are not completely identical. We have a really good article on our website uh, that tells everything about mobile first indexing. Um, so, you know, if you have questions about that, we probably have answered that in our article. Um, most sites should not see drops in connection to being moved to mobile first indexing because Google is trying really hard not to move sites unless they're actually ready to be moved. Um, and, you know, we've seen a couple of cases where we've suspected that uh, some drops were connected to mobile first indexing, but it's not been a strong thing that we've seen amongst sites that see drops. So something worth noting, I think it's good for everybody to sort of check. And once you see that date in Search Console where you were moved, assuming you have been moved, and I think I can't remember the percentage. It's somewhere between 50 to 80% of sites have already been moved, which means there's a lot of sites that still have not been moved to mobile first indexing. And it may take years for Google to do that. Um, once you see that date though, you should put an annotation in your Google Analytics so that years from now, if you're trying to determine uh, why traffic has dropped or why you've been struggling, um, if it is connected to the mobile first indexing change, then at least you've got it annotated. Um, and also this is really helpful if you're hiring somebody like me or my team to assess a traffic drop, the more you can annotate in Google Analytics, the better. Uh, it really, really helps. Moving on to other news, and I should mention again that we're putting a little bit less in podcast. Uh, if you want just the basic news about SEO, mariehaines.com slash newsletter, and you will find it's completely free for everybody. All of the things that uh, have changed that you need to know uh, should be in that newsletter. And then the paid version of newsletter um, goes into much greater detail. We're trying to put a little bit more about our insights into algorithm updates, even more than I'm talking about in uh, podcast. Although I should say for this particular week, we don't have as much as other weeks in terms of inside information. Um, but we're trying to make it more uh, valuable for those of you who are paid members. Um, and at this time, the paid membership is $18 a month. It's not anything crazy. Uh, and I can't tell you how many people come up to me at conferences and go, it's the best money I've spent. Um, so enough bragging about newsletter. I really would, would recommend um, this paid version. And we hope in the future to have even more featured for features for paid members. So, um, you know, now's a good time to, to get in while the price is still really low. Um, 
Let's see. I wanted to mention, uh, you may have seen that the Wayback Machine, so that's archive.org, has some new changes, and I really, really like them. Uh, One of the new changes is that you can look at site changes. Um, And so I'll tell you a funny story. Well, not a funny story, a very sad story, actually. We worked with a client who had done uh, a site migration. They basically did and not a migration, a redesign. They did this redesign, and when they launched their new site, it just did not rank um, the same way as the old site did. It had all the same content. The URLs were the same. Uh, There really wasn't any reason for it not to rank well. And when we looked at uh, traffic, there was this very specific drop that happened, um, you know, within a day of launching the new redesign. And what we noticed was that the drop was not just in Google, but also in Bing and Yahoo. And so that tells us it's very unlikely to be due to a Google algorithm update. And if I recall right, I think it was on the day of a Google algorithm update. So it was kind of a tricky situation. Um, And so what we did back then was we went into archive and just one of the things that we do as part of our process is look at, has anything changed in that time? Uh, And we looked at the old design versus the new. Now, back then, before archive.org had uh, this new changes tab, we had to keep clicking on every version of the site until we were like, oh, okay, here's where it's different. Um, And now what archive shows you is where they've noticed changes in between crawls. Now, the change doesn't necessarily happen on that day because it may be that they haven't crawled the page for three months and then they go, oh, it's different than it was three months ago. But it's still really handy. And then what they do is they actually highlight the parts of the page that have changed. So for this particular client, what we did was we noticed that um, the internal links were all missing on the new version of important pages. Uh, And so we added back in internal links. And if I recall correctly, things improved. But I think that site had some other issues as well. The point I'm trying to make, though, is that um, you can see a lot of things by looking at what the site looked like before a traffic drop happened and whether anything new had been added, whether the layout had changed, uh, whether links have changed on the page. So um, this is a really exciting thing that that's going to be easier for us to check now in Search Console. Um, Let's see. We really liked uh, John Mueller is talking a bit more and more about EAT. Uh, Somebody asked in a Help Hangout just recently, oh, I should mention, we are going to get back to transcribing Google Help Hangouts. We've been so overloaded with requests for site reviews. uh, And so we've put it on the back burner for a little bit, but we're going to come back to that. Um, But this part from this recent Help Hangout is really, really interesting. Somebody was asking John Mueller about a particular site that had seen a big drop in uh, traffic. And so he gave some instructions on how to check, you know, maybe there's been a technical issue. If the pages are completely out of the index, then I'd be looking at something on your side in terms of technical issues. Um, But here's the quote that I really liked. He said, if these pages are actually indexed and they're not, they're just not ranking as well, then anything you can do to increase the quality of your website overall is something that you could work on to improve. This could be things like explaining where the authors are from, where this content is from, or how your content could be seen as trustworthy or not. Um, Now, he doesn't specifically mention EAT, but this is EAT. Um, He did also go on, though, to say that you don't necessarily need to be, um, you know, a a surgeon or a doctor or have a PhD in order to rank for every single term. Um, And we see this. There are provisions in Google's algorithms for um, certain areas where everyday expertise can be be a, a good thing towards EAT. 
But what you need to look at is what the landscape looks like. Like if you're trying to rank number one for a term that WebMD and Mayo Clinic own, it's going to be really hard to do that with just everyday expertise. Uh, and one of the examples that was in the Quality Raiders Guidelines talks about a forum on uh, liver cancer. And what they talk about is there's some things in there that are really, really valuable to somebody who's been diagnosed with liver cancer. Uh, and even though the content wasn't written by a doctor or an oncologist, uh, it's something that the average user would find useful. But that post is not going to rank for liver cancer. I would imagine it would rank for things like, what is life like living with liver cancer? Um, stories of other people who have had this cancer. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, EAT is important if you're trying to rank for very competitive YMYL terms. Uh, and so that's something to keep in mind. Also just wanted to point out this little uh, tweet. This was something Glenn Gabe found in one of the recent help hangouts. John Mueller said, if you're building links via expired domains, if Google sees this happening at a large scale, it could result in a manual action. Expired domains is something that we see a lot. You know, it's fine if somebody in your town is going out of business and you want to buy up your competitor's domain name and redirect that to your site because it makes sense for business reasons. That's not what John's talking about. If you go around and you buy up a hundred different, and I'm making that number up, but like a large number of expired domains just for the page rank so that you can point those at your site, those types of things can result in a manual action uh, and they can be very challenging to get rid of. Um, we're finding that, you know, there's some manual actions where Google Google's pretty lenient when we just say, look, we realized we hired this SEO company that made these links and we're not going to do that ever again. Um, but if you've been getting into practices like, you know, really in-depth uh, private blog networks, um, using expired domains, things like that, Google can be very strict and make it very hard to remove your manual action. Uh, so you do not want to be experimenting with this type of thing. Again, if it makes sense outside of SEO for business purposes, it's okay to do a little bit of this. Um, but if you're doing something that you're like, oh, this is really good, this is going to improve my rankings, and you're reluctant to show it to the web spam team, that's a sign that maybe that's not the best practice. Um, let's see here. We've got some really good recommended reading. I don't usually go into the recommended reading in podcasts, but there were a couple of articles I wanted to point out. Glenn Gabe has an excellent article on, he started off writing on the June 3rd update, and then it sort of became more of a, here's just a general idea of what you can do to improve quality. Um, and one of the things we really liked that he talked about was getting actual users to test your content. And uh, this is something we've been talking about for a couple of years now, is actually potentially offering some user testing um, based on questions that are either in the quality raters guidelines or the 23 questions for Panda. Uh, so I'd really encourage you to read Glenn's most recent article. And um, another one that I really want to call out here is Cyrus Shepard has an article on Moz uh, about links. And he goes through a number of different patents and tests and shows all of the evidence that he can find that particular types of links are important. Um, and one of the things, I'm not going to give away all the details of this article because I think everybody should read it. It's called um, Illustrations on Search Engines Valuation of Links on Moz.com. Uh, most recent article by Cyrus Shepard. It was published on July 1st. Um, there's stuff in there about 
PageRank and the reasonable surfer patent. Uh, and the stuff that we really, really liked was um, the talks about how Google is trying to figure out which links are trustworthy and which links they should pass PageRank through. Now, Cyrus doesn't specifically mention EAT, but he's talking about a lot of EAT related things. And we, I personally believe that uh, for YMYL queries, that Google only passes PageRank through sites that have a decent level of EAT. And this can be, if my theory is right, this can explain why uh, Google will say that negative SEO via links is very unlikely to work because Google's just ignoring those links anyhow. Um, so, I think that's all we'll get into in terms of newsletter content this week. We want to end with a couple of questions from Q&A. And uh, again, if you want to ask these questions, you can. there's a link within newsletter um, and uh, there's a form that you can fill out to ask the question. I can't promise that we'll answer everybody's question. I have to say, um, those of you who have been reaching out to ask for help with traffic drops, uh, we've sort of... Uh, how do I put this? We're doing less free advice these days. I used to spend, at one point I was spending up to eight hours a day uh, just trying to help everybody who reached out to me with a traffic drop. Um, and now we're back to having a waiting list again. And as much as we would like to do pro bono work, it's just not possible because when we review a site to determine what the quality issues are, it's rare that it's just, you know, half an hour or even an hour of work. We put like a good one to two weeks into most of our site reviews. Um, if you're, we, for some of our clients, we're offering a light site review, which is less expensive than our regular ones. But even those, we put uh, at least two solid days of uh, one team member's time into this. So, um, Anyways, I, I, and I feel that, you know, some of these people that are asking for pro bono work are, are really angry that we can't help them. Um, and it's the same situation I had when I was a veterinarian that uh, I want to help as many people as I can, but there's only so many hours in the day. So um, if you have a question, a specific question uh, about your website, Q&A here is the place to do it. If you cannot afford our team to uh, to look at your website, then I'm going to try to answer as many of these questions as I can. And, um, um, you know, I won't be able to go into great detail, but hopefully we can help out some people here. So this... Um, First question here, uh, let's see. Hi, Marie. I have a client who has a number of event spaces for hire across London. Each venue is a little different to each other, but the purpose of the venue is the same as each other, i.e. they all lease out space for events. How can I make it so that they do not compete with each other organically? The keyword base is exactly the same. Okay, so this is really tricky and it's going to be one of those situations where a lot of stuff depends on other things. If this is one, so the way I understand it, it's one client that has a bunch of spaces uh, that maybe they rent out for weddings or parties or, or whatnot, right? Um, and so you might want to be saying, you know, you might want to be targeting like uh, wedding for, hot, you know, wedding venue of, um, you know, a particular neighborhood and wedding venue in, I don't know the <laughs> neighborhoods of London, I should know that, but like in Manchester or, um, you know, things like that. Um, and the problem though, is that, uh, these can very quickly look like doorway sites or doorway pages, um, depending on the volume and whatnot. So the answer here, I think depends on how unique these are. 
if it's really a challenge to make these unique and you're like, look, we're competing for the same keywords, you know, wedding venue in this town and wedding venue in this town or neighborhood is essentially the same thing, then maybe you shouldn't have separate websites for this. Um, and maybe you need to work on having just one fantastic website that says, look, if you're looking for wedding venues, then, uh, or whatever, if you're looking for space, event space, our website is the best. Um, and then have individual pages for each of these uh, venues. Um, then the key is to find things that are unique about those. And it's not just enough to have unique words on the page. So let's say that I have um, you know, a website that I want to target. Uh, I have a business in Seattle and I have another business in Pittsburgh and I want to write, you know, unique content for each of those. What we see a lot of people doing is uh, trying to just swap out certain keywords. So for example, you know, they'll have the exact same stuff on both these pages, but they'll have information about the Seattle Seahawks on the Seattle page and they'll have information about the Pittsburgh Steelers on the Pittsburgh page thinking that, you know, well, that's enough unique content so that Google can see that this is not exact duplicates of each other. But if you put yourself in the shoes of a listener or a reader, um, you know, they don't really care if I'm looking for information on your business, unless your business is specific to the NFL, they don't really care about these things. So one of the things that we really recommend when you're trying to differentiate location pages like this is to actually get user generated content. Um, if these locations have different managers that are running them, you could actually, it's not necessarily user generated content, but you could have the managers in charge of writing why their venue is awesome, putting pictures up of their venue, um, you know, running uh, social media content on their particular venue and, and making that person in charge of uh, getting really good content for that page. Um, the other thing, though, that works really well is to try to get reviews from users and testimonials that you can put up on those specific pages. And again, if you're saying, but they would be the same for this venue and the other one across the city, well, then maybe you don't need to have two separate pages or two separate websites. These could probably just be one. So, you know, a lot of these questions about location issues can be really tricky because it's easier to rank if you have a page for each specific city or neighborhood. Um, but... If you get enough of those, then that can be seen as thin content by Google. So I don't know if that fully answered the question, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of uh, uh, guidance as to where to go here. This next question is a good one. It's a bit long. I might skip over parts of it, but um, let's see here. I run the SEO department for an agency that deals mainly with vet practices. Uh, we have a dedicated SEO copy team that handles all the website website copy for all of our clients. How can I leverage my copy team in terms of EAT? Would I benefit from building out author pages for them on the company site since they have a large body of work already on the web? Or would that be wasted time given how none of the copywriters' names are attached to the work for the websites? Um, I'm going to stop the question there. There's more, but I think that there's a lot there uh, that we can cover. So this is a topic that I know well, having been a veterinarian for many years. Uh, and, you know, when we had our, at one point we had one of these, and maybe it was your company. We had a company that uh, we got a website from. This is before I was involved in any types of internet stuff. 
And one of the things that this company did was provide us with articles. So, you know, if our client had questions about, let's say their dog was just diagnosed with Cushing's disease, well, there would be an article that was already written for us. It was a part of our website. The problem with this, though, is that there were hundreds of other websites, veterinary websites, that had that exact same article. So I know this is not what you're asking. You're asking EAT, and we'll get there in just a minute. Um, but if you have the same content, so if you're farming that same content out to multiple different veterinary practices, that content should be no indexed. Um, and because what can happen is if Google sees, if the algorithms see that a huge portion of your site contains content that people can just find anywhere, it could potentially look like a sign of low quality and it could cause the Panda filter to um, actually demote your site in terms of quality. Uh, that, In our opinion, I, I don't have 100% proof for that, but uh, it makes sense to me that that could happen. So assuming that you've given each of these websites unique copy, um, and uniquely valuable copy. And this is, this is another thing. So let's say you write an article about Cushing's disease in dogs. There are already many, many articles online about Cushing's disease in dogs. So if this is an article that you want to actually rank well for this particular website, it needs to come with unique viewpoints. Um, and so this is something that I would recommend finding a way to actually get your veterinary staff involved in writing. And this is hard. I mean, I know as a vet, it's just like any other profession. Uh, if you're really good at what you're doing, you don't have time to be working on writing articles and um, you know things like this. And so it's going to be hard to get actual actual veterinarians to write this content. But what you could do is ask them for their input, you know, ask them very specific questions like, hey, Dr. So-and-so, can you tell us, are you seeing many cases of this? Um, what are some of the things that people don't realize about Cushing's disease? Uh, what, um, you know, what are some of the questions that you get asked that are not being covered in the other articles that we read online? And adding their own personal insight can really be valuable. Uh, and that's not EAT, that's more page quality, which we think Google is getting much better at recognizing. In terms of author names, though, this is a really good question that you have. So the way I understand it is you have some veterinary authors who are really, really good. They write that content. The content goes out to the actual veterinary offices to put on their website. Um, but because the original writer is not associated with their practice... Uh, then they don't get credited for this author, this article. I think there's a couple ways you could deal with this. One would be to actually put the author's name on it. Um, so if there was a particular author that is, you know, this person writes for large publications and writes for you, um, you know, you can uh, have the um, the link go to their page on your website, uh, the author bio link. Or what could be better is to actually have the veterinary website um, have, you know, this author's name and then a page on their website saying, Dr. So-and-so has written many articles that we've published and he or she is also featured in this veterinary journal in this, you know, basically extol their EAT. Um, if that's not possible, because I think a lot of the veterinary practices might be like, well, why would I want Dr. So-and-so's name associated with me when they're not actually working for my practice? Then um, another thing you could do if it's legally possible for you is to um, have 
the vet who works at the practice have their name as a medical reviewer on this. Um, so you can, we've, we've done this for many of our clients uh, that we've actually had them go out and get medical reviewers. And so the content, you know, would be written by somebody who we don't know their name. And then we can say it was reviewed for accuracy by Dr. So-and-so who actually works at this practice. Um, and then of course you would build out the author page for that doctor. The problem with doing this is that you're only getting the E in EAT. Um, and so if the doctor at your veterinary practice, you know, maybe they've been practicing for 20 years and they know everything in terms of veterinary medicine, but they have no recognition online as an authority, that content's probably not going to rank as well. So I think, you know, my first preference would be to actually include the original author's name and just build out their EAT and why they're trustworthy. But I think that this will only work if that author can be somehow associated with those websites. So I don't have the exact answer again for you on that question, but hopefully those are th some things that have helped. Um, this is a topic that I've thought about a lot. I think a lot of sites that uh, are selling content in terms of um, high level medical content could really, really benefit from uh, offering services from authors who have built up their EAT. Uh, you know, I think that's something that um, as a content provider, you could potentially charge a lot of money for uh, if it's done in the right way. So I think we'll end it there. Um, I'm going to be spending the rest of my day mostly prepping for MozCon. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. I've got my talk all set to go, and now I've got to hone it in and, uh, and you know, make it sound good. <laughs> I'm working on the cat gifts. Um, so, uh, you know, the only thing I would like to push here is, again, if you are a, a newsletter subscriber, I would urge you to um, sign up for the paid version just because we're going to make it even better and we are already making it even better uh, than the the current version it's going to be worth your while so um, the last thing I'm going to end with and I'm going to leave you on this cliffhanger it's going to sound like one of those Facebook messages where people send them and they leave you on a cliffhanger and now you want to know what's going to happen we have some really exciting news coming up and I really wanted to announce it today but we have to wait for a few more days to announce it so stay tuned there's going to be something that it'll probably be all over Twitter and uh, we'll be talking about it soon. I'll definitely be mentioning it in our next podcast. Um, how's that for a cliffhanger? Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you who uh, tell me that you get good value out of this talk. It blows my mind still that I get to babble on about SEO and you like to listen to it. So with that, I wish you a great week and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm -hmm.